to the Young and Heart thing, bring a lunch item or dessert item. It's, uh, it's just a really fun time of fellowship in the mornings. So I hope you can forgive me this morning. I'm trying to keep it together for about 20 minutes or so while I, while I preach through this, but uh, I definitely covet your prayers for the rest of the morning. Uh, we're in a week two of Jonah. As promised, it's going to be a short series. I'm keeping it short. It's only going to be four weeks long. There's four chapters in Jonah. We're doing chapter two and one verse of chapter one this morning. Uh, before we get to that, I'll give you a quick kind of a recap. You know, there's a few people who were um, away last week who were either sick or snowed in or a combination of both. Uh, so I'll give you a quick recap of what happened last week. Before we move on, our story opens with God instructing Jonah, commissioning Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. Uh, God wants Jonah to go there and preach repentance before God's judgment has a chance to come on the city. Uh, As a foreign city, it's not part of Israel, it's not um, full of God's covenant people, and because of their uh, ruthlessness and the hatred that is between the Israelites and the Assyrians, the nation um, that that Nineveh is a part of, Uh, Jonah doesn't want to go. He really just does not want to go. He'd rather see every Syrian burn than repent. So he heads in the opposite direction, buys a ticket on a boat, uh, headed to the port city of Tarshish, which is in the other direction on the map. And as a result of his disobedience, that boat encounters just this incredible storm. Uh, The storm's so bad that everyone else on the board, sorry, everyone else on the boat, uh, they all cry out to their gods to try and, and, and... calm this down because they don't want to die. Uh, They throw all the provisions and all of their cargo overboard and eventually, in an effort to to, to make it light and buoyant, eventually the captain of the ship finds Jonah asleep kind of in the hull of the boat downstairs trying to get away from everything. And this pagan captain of a a traveling ship encourages this prophet of the Lord, ironically, to pray. Uh, And eventually, in order to stop the storm, Jonah encourages the sailors and they cautiously accept uh, that the only way to stop the storm is for Jonah to be flung overboard. And so they they pitch him into the sea and the text tells us immediately that storm just stopped uh, and the sea was calm. That's where Jonah finds himself this morning. He's adrift on a calm ocean, uh, but as we're about to see, he's not going to be alone for very long. Um, So let's pray and then we'll get to today's text. Father God, thank you so much for gathering us here together this morning. Thank you for your word, uh, that it teaches us and encourages us. I pray that you would keep me healthy for the next half hour or so, that I can do this well. Uh, And I pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and hands and feet to move. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Jonah, starting in chapter 1, verse 17, and going all the way to chapter 3. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. So here we have the part of the book of Jonah that everyone knows, right? Did you notice how long it was? It was one verse, right? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, right? Verse 17 is the part of Jonah that, that most people know. And that's kind of a shame. It's, it's a bit of a shame that this great book with its incredible truths about who God is and what he means to us gets overshadowed by that one virtually unbelievable fact that a, that a man can survive inside the belly of a fish or a whale for three days. I say virtually unbelievable because, come on, it does seem pretty difficult to believe that, right? That, that a human could live within an animal for that long. But before we go and do something crazy, like say the book is, is, is an allegory or it's a metaphor... And not, in fact, an accounting of true events. Let me read to you what Jesus said about Jonah in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So just as Jesus' resurrection is a true event, and a true fact, and Jesus said it was going to be, so Jesus compares it to that time when Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Jesus is clearly making a claim that what happened to Jonah really happened. It's not just a story. It really happened. Further, we know that three, those, those three days and three nights don't have to be a literal 72-hour period, right? Jesus was crucified on a Friday evening and was raised from death on a Sunday morning. It's not 72 hours. It's just a period of time over three days. So because of the testimony of Scripture and because of the testimony of Jesus, we believe that the events in the book of Jonah actually happened. A guy really did spend three days in the stomach of a fish. So that's the part everyone knows. Now we get into what happened next. What what happened during that time that Jonah was in that fish? He prayed. Jonah prayed. The entirety of chapter 2, except for the first sentence and the last sentence, is a prayer. It's Jonah's prayer as he remembers it when he writes the book later on. It's the prayer he prayed while he was inside this giant fish. Now reading the prayer with a little bit of an eye to study gives us a lot of insight into Jonah's personality. It's important to understand it's important to understand that to understand the book. So let's, let's do that. Verse Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. We'll stop there for a minute. Jonah's in a boat, boat's being tossed around by this crazy storm. And Jonah knows it's his fault that the storm is happening, because he disobeyed God. So eventually he resigns himself to his fate, tells the sailors, look, the only way to get out of this storm is to just... Throw me overboard, so let's just get it over with and do it. Jonah thinks he's going to die here. 
Jonah thinks God is judging him for being rebellious and for not obeying God's call to go to Nineveh and preach. So keep that in mind for for just a moment, because Jonah thinks God's about to judge him and kill him, because that's what disobedience in the Old Testament means. Right? Remember Yuzah? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, not because it's great, but because it's so tragic. The guy in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, and they cross a ditch, and the the Ark tips over, and it's starting to fall into this ditch, and, and Yuzah reaches out and he touches the ark to brace it from falling into this ditch. And, of course, for his trouble, God kills him for his disobedience. Because you don't touch the ark. You're not supposed to touch it. It's a sin to touch it. And the wages of sin are death. It's not a game. His heart may, without going into use a whole lot. His heart may have been in the right place because he wanted to help. He wanted to save. But you imagine when he's trying to save God. For a human to do that, it doesn't work. That's what happens when you disobey God in the Old Testament. And Jonah knew that. So Jonah thinks, this is it. I've disobeyed God. He didn't like it. And now there's this storm. And if they throw me overboard, they'll be saved. But I'm not going to make it. So that's what he thinks. So there's a sense in the story of Jonah that he's, in a way, he's kind of suicidal at this point. Right? He's a prophet of the Lord and he knows that disobedience is sin and, and that means you die. But now he so intensely does not want to see Nineveh repent. He so intensely hates these people that he's willing to disobey God and bring death on himself to do that. Now whether or not he was suicidal in a, in a death wish kind of a way or a, I, I'd, I'd rather die than see them saved kind of a way is up for debate. But... Suicidal or not, Jonah expected now to die in this ocean all by himself. So keep that in mind as we move into the next part of the text. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Okay, what's wrong with this picture? Just shut it out quick, who knows? Give you a hint. the first seven words of of, of, of verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. He's praying, he's talking to God here, and he's saying, you, Lord, you cast me into the deep, into the ocean. But who was it that actually threw Jonah off the boat? Right? Verse 15, it was the sailors. The sailors did it. Jonah's not wrong, and he's not mistaken here either. Jonah's making a statement about the sovereignty of God. The statement that God will use people to accomplish his tasks one way or another, whether they're part of God's kingdom or not. So here God uses these pagan sailors to accomplish the will of God, which was to throw Jonah into the sea. We'll see why that was later on. But for now, that's what the will of God is. Jonah needs to end up in the ocean. So I will ordain these men to consent to Jonah's desires to be thrown overboard, which is really my desire for him to be thrown overboard because I'm going to send a fish to eat him. And so Jonah will end up in the sea because of me. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. I shall look again upon your holy temple. This is where we start to see a little bit of Jonah's personality. Right? And it's not good. Jonah's a bit self-righteous. Right? I am driven away from your sight. He was driven away, was he? No, he fled. Jonah fled. He got up and 
went in the opposite direction of his own deciding. So he's a little bit, a little bit self-righteous there. Verse 5. The waters closed in on me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapping about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So what's happening here? He's about to die. He's, he's just, he's on the verge of death here. The picture of the, of the waters closing in on you, being surrounded by weeds, being wrapped around you, being at the root of the mountains. I love that picture. The root of the mountains. That's, he's on the sea floor. Right? That's where the mountains start. The picture of going down to a land where the bars close in on you forever. You're not coming back. Drowning is a horrible way to die. Ask anybody who's ever come close. I mean, it's not pleasant. You're scared. You're panicking, which makes it worse. You're terrified the whole time. It's awful. It's awful. Then you get to the second half of verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It's another statement about God's sovereignty. right? Who saved Jonah's life? You did, O Lord God. God saved Jonah's life by having him eaten by a fish. Notice here that Jonah's not praying for deliverance from the fish. He's not saying, oh Lord, get me out of this stinky belly. Jonah sees the fish, he sees his current existence within the stomach of a whale or a fish as God's grace in his life. You've got to know, that's not a pleasant experience. And all these wonderful cartoon pictures we remember growing up in, in Sunday school as children, seeing Jonah kind of comfortably sitting inside the belly of a fish. And some, some of them you know, have, a, have a hilarious campfire in there to keep him warm. And it's not dark. For some reason, he can see. You know, it, it's ridiculous. Right? Being inside of a fish as a human, regardless of how big or small the fish is, is not a comfortable experience. Right? Jonah wasn't going to go to Ikea anytime soon and find furniture to fit into his small studio apartment named Moby Dick. It's just not going to happen. It's uncomfortable. It smells. I don't know enough about ancient whale or fish anatomy to know whether or not there was stomach acid, but if there was, I mean, it would have burned him as well. It's not comfortable. Jonah's not happy inside the fish. That's important. Because sometimes the means of God's grace in our lives isn't comfortable. Not what we wanted. I'm sure if God had asked Jonah, hey, how do you want to be saved from drowning? Jonah wouldn't have said, you know what? A fish sounds real good. Let's do that. Wouldn't have been on top of his list. If it were me, I'd say, teleport me. I know you can do it. You did it with Enoch. Just, just, just teleport me. Take me from here to even put me in Nineveh. That's fine. Just teleport me. Sometimes things happen to us that aren't comfortable, that aren't pleasant, or that aren't things we want to happen. Some things, sometimes things like that will happen to us, and we need to find faith in God that he's looking out for us. That he's looking out for his glory, and he's looking out for our good, and for our sanctification, that he's growing us, he's building us, he's making us into more and more of a likeness of his own son. Sometimes, and I would argue most times, it's not a pleasant experience. The Bible talks about being refined with fire. That's not pleasant. The Bible talks about God working away at us like a potter. If you're clay, that's no fun. 
We submit to God's will in our lives and it becomes easier to take maybe. But it's not always pleasant. That's what happened to Jonah. And the key to this prayer is that he's not praying for deliverance from the fish. He's giving thanks for the fish. He's giving thanks for being delivered in an uncomfortable way from death. That's important. Jonah's thankful that God delivered him from a horrific and violent and chaotic death. And so his prayer gives voice to that thankfulness. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah goes from suicidal to submissive. But before we go off and start singing Jonah's praises. Oh, he got it. Finally. Good for him. Jonah's a good guy. Before we do that, it's important to note that this newfound submission of his is not joyful. It's grudging. And we'll, we'll get to why that is in chapter 4. But it's, it's grudging submission. We see evidence all over the prayer even that he's just finished. And we'll see more, more evidence of it in, in the first half of chapter 4. For example, we see back in verse 4 this morning that when Jonah says God banished him away when it was in fact Jonah himself who fled. Jonah's self-righteous. He hasn't repented. He hasn't learned that it's wrong to do the opposite of what God asks or intends of you. Rather, all Jonah has learned here to this point is that it's useless to resist God. Now that's a good lesson to learn. But that's all he's learned so far. It's a horrible reason to do what God wants you to do, by, by the way. That's, that's law. It's not grace. It's law. It's not thankfulness. That's, you know, I tithe because I have to. Or I don't swear because it's wrong. Or I don't drink because it's sin. Or I, I do this because God says so. That's a horrible way to live your life. And it ignores the fact that we have freedom in Christ. Not freedom to sin, but freedom in Christ. Jonah hasn't repented yet. His, his heart is still evil. Even though his actions are beginning to line up with what God has asked of him. Right? Remember how Jonah thought that because of the, because of the storm and because he had, he had to be thrown overboard, he was going to die and God was, God was going to judge him there? Well, Jonah thought he was going to win. Right? When that happened. Because, remember, the reason Jonah didn't go to Nineveh in the first place is because he didn't want them to be saved. He didn't want them to repent. So if Jonah doesn't go, then Jonah gets what he wants, and God doesn't get what he wants. That's why it doesn't work out. Because God gets what he wants. But so that's the attitude that Jonah has when he's in the boat, before he's being thrown off. You know, I imagine it's the attitude that Jonah continues to have when he's in the water, once the storm has stopped. Yeah, God's judging me for my disobedience, but I still don't have to do what he asked me to do, so I win. That's how much he hated the Assyrians. It's the attitude that Jonah continues to have even now after God saves him. He's in the belly of this fish. Jonah hasn't changed his heart, hasn't changed his mind, hasn't changed his attitude. The only thing he's done is changed his behavior. That's all he's done. That's where his prayer stops and that's where the story stops this week. The the story stops in this sort of anticlimactic, devoid of the gospel place. Right? You could stop reading the story in chapter 2 and, and take away the message of all God requires is your obedience, so shut your mouth and do what he says. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. 
The message of the gospel, the message of the Bible, and the message of Christianity is not, it's not a message of modifying your behavior. That's not gospel. That's not Christianity. That's not even the Bible. That's the definition of a Pharisee. Blindly obey, blindly follow the behavior that's mandated without having a heart that's changed. And without having a worshipful, thankful love and fear of God. When we do good, our righteous actions are not to be motivated only by the fact that God has ordained us to live this way. Our actions are motivated out of a sincere love for God and a sincere thankfulness for the fact that He saved us. He saved us. And a sincere understanding that He ordained us to live this way, not because He's mean and doesn't want us to have fun, but because it's better for us. It's just better for us and it gives Him glory. So, where does that get us today? What message do we take away from Jonah 2, if that's true? Well, just look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. The Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah up upon dry land. End of the chapter. The end of our story this morning has gone finishing his rescue of Jonah. Now Jonah's safe. Now Jonah is relatively more comfortable than he's been for the last three days. He's still probably covered in fish guts, but at least he's on dry land and has the sunlight and can see. So he's relatively comfortable. And now, if Jonah has not yet repented, if Jonah has not yet changed his heart, or had his heart changed, if Jonah is still the same Jonah he was when he boarded the boat, when he ran away from God in the first place, if Jonah is still that guy, what do we learn about God? And I'm making the case that he is that guy. So what do we learn about God? Romans 5 verse 8 says it best. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to put that in the Old Testament language for Jonah? But God showed his love for Jonah that while his heart was still hardened, God had mercy and rescued him from the sea. Right? That's what happened, isn't it? Jonah hadn't changed his heart. His heart was still hard. Jonah hasn't been regenerated, to use a New Testament term. Jonah wasn't a new person yet. He hadn't been born again. He was still the same pig-headed, selfish man he was. And yet, in his sinfulness, God, in his sovereignty, chose to have mercy on Jonah and save him anyway. Amen. By his will, for his own pleasure, and for his own purpose. The message of the Bible and the message of the gospel is a message that at its core is a message of hope. I don't want you to leave on any Sunday morning without the hope of the gospel. So even though Jonah hasn't been converted yet, even though Jonah hasn't repented of his sin yet, we have the hope of the gospel because we know that God saved Jonah even though he was still a sinner. We know that God saved Jonah from drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, not because of anything righteous that Jonah did. In fact, it's in spite of all the unrighteous things he did. That's the hope we have. That's the hope we have. We don't have to do anything right just to get into God's good graces, as it were, because if we did, we couldn't. Right? 
I hope we all know that we don't have to do anything righteous. We don't have to change our behavior to earn God's favor, to earn God's mercy, or to earn God's grace. In fact, even the phrase earning grace is antithetical by itself. It doesn't make any sense. Because the word grace comes from the Greek, which means something undeserved. That's what the word literally means. So you can't earn or deserve something that's undeserved by its very nature. In Romans 5, Paul prefaces verse 8 by saying this in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. If we could be righteous, if we could be good, if we could in some weird way earn God's grace, if we could do it, then why in the world would God choose to send and sacrifice his son for us? Why in the world would he do that? If it's possible for us to earn it on our own, why would he go through the pain of sacrificing himself on a cross like that? If it's not absolutely necessary, why would he do it? The idea that you can earn your own salvation, the idea that you can be good enough for God, that you can twist his arm into letting you in, spits on the cross. It spits on the gospel. It spits on grace. We, we can't do it on our own. That's the point. We are entirely dependent on the grace of God. Utterly dependent on something that we do not, and more importantly, cannot ever learn. That's what Jonah reminds us of. That's what Jonah teaches us about God. God loves us so much that in our disobedience, he still saves Next week, Jonah wakes up on a beach and he hears the voice of God calling him again and telling him to do something again. And he has a decision to make. So come back next week and see what he does about it. Let's pray.